Hi, and welcome to Zed Games. Recorded live at 4 Triple Z Studios in Brisbane and broadcast nationally over the community radio network, Zed Games brings you the latest gaming news, reviews, and interviews from across Australia and around the world. You're listening to Zed Games, once again, your favourite gaming radio show, and ours, I hope, right? Oh, absolutely. Definitely ours. Definitely. Yes. Uh, we are coming to you live from the 4ZZZ studios in Brisbane. You might be listening to us around the nation on the Community Radio Network. I'm Lee. Uh, and as ever, we are joined by Razor. Hey. And Miss Candy Payne. Hi. Razor, what's happening on this episode? Lee, you have been playing a game called Submerged. Yeah. It's some sort of partially underwater thing. I feel like if it wasn't underwater, that would just be really false advertising. I've got to say, you are never underwater in this game, but everything else is. Oh, misleading. I wow. see. No, <laughs> quite. <laughs> I've been playing Grow Home. It's a charming little climbing game. Mm-hmm. Just came out this week for the PlayStation 4 and uh, PC earlier this year. That's nice. But uh, let's get uh, this week going with the Week in Gaming News headlines. What have we got, Miss Candy Payne? Well, in a surprising announcement, Capcom has announced a PC port of fantasy role-playing game Dragon's Dogma Dark Arisen for release next year. The new version, which will feature beefed-up graphics, will support the use of either a gamepad or mouse slash keyboard. It's due for launch in January 2016. Oh, man. I love Dragon's Dogma so much. And everyone needs to play it. And now more people will be able mm. to. It was an underrated gem, wasn't it? Oh, man, it was so good. Yeah. I like, think um, Alana, one of our other presenter, mm. named it as Game of the Year, her pick for 2013. It's a game where you get to climb up a griffin while it's flying around and stab it in the head. Like, yes, 10 out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> Just for that description alone. Yeah. And it was strange on the PlayStation 3 as well. Well, it wasn't strange, but it seemed to be sort of buckling under the weight of its amb- ambition a little bit. A little bit, maybe. Like the frame rate staggered whenever there was a huge beast on the screen. Mm. And, mm. you know, it was a, it was like choking under the, the limitations of the PlayStation 3 system. So I think it'll hopefully find a new audience now that... Uh, we can show how beautiful the game is on the PC. Yeah, yeah. I expect that uh, this is the result of a similar campaign as the one that got uh, Dark Souls finally released on the PC a year or two after it had been out on the consoles. Uh, And, yeah, with luck, it means that there are more of these games in the works, not just the weird MMO that's only available in China at the moment. Hmm. More Dragon's Dogma, I say. CD Projekt Red has given us a date for the first Witcher 3 expansion, and that is the 13th of October. Hearts of Stone comes with 10 hours of new story content, including new characters, monsters, romances, and a new Rune Worlds mechanic. This is the first of two planned expansion packs. The second is due for release during the first quarter of 2016. How many hours did you put into The Witcher 3, Ray? Oh, uh, going on 40-ish. Yeah. Uh, still going. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, see, I'm at, I think, 70 or 80 and also still going. But I cannot wait. Well, this is another 10 hours to add on to that. Yeah, I can't wait to put it on the back burner because there's a lot <laughs> happening right now in the games. I mean, it's a tough competition for for the games that are trying to steal our attention. Yeah. I mean, The Witcher 3, you know, it's definitely going to be prioritized, but there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot of other stuff going on as well. It'd be nice to finally be finished, but also I never want it to stop. Yeah. yeah. 
Ubisoft will open a theme park in Malaysia with the planned launch of 2020. The Assassin's Creed company has partnered with RSG, a Malaysian park developer, to create a 100,000 square foot indoor facility in Kuala Lumpur to feature Ubisoft branded rides and attractions. All right, let's start speculating. Oh my gosh, so many speculations. I'm just excited for any of the possibilities. It is indoors though. Yeah. So I don't know. But then having said that, there are countries that have like giant man-made beaches and things indoors. Yeah. And, so, and like, they are still spectacular. We're talking so. about Kuala Lumpur here. So yeah. like all they have is giant indoor weirdo facilities. Yeah. So you could very well have your leap of faith ride, Ray, that you were suggesting earlier. Yeah, kind of like, you know, Dreamworld's giant drop. Um, but instead of being seated upright, you could be like strapped to the bottom of some giant block that's hurtling towards the ground at like 100 kilometers an hour and that lands in a, a hay bale yeah you just got smashed <laughs> in the face with hay oh my god could you imagine could you imagine i'm actually really excited for that mm. i think that but you'd have you'd want to see all the graphics going down as well you know like it would have to look like you're jumping into a hay bale in the middle of rome or something well, you i'm know? sure they could get a hay bale the rest of it that's up to you <laughs> <laughs> Either way, I'm pretty freaking excited for 2020. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know where my holiday is going to be. I hope they will have abandoned their awful Raven Rabbids franchise by that stage because those things are awful and mm. I don't want to see them walking around like as costumed characters mm. interacting with me or others. Imagine if they had people dressed as the assassins just walking through like pickpocketing as a joke or something. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be that funny. No. No. You'd probably only want to have like one of them. And yeah. then just lots of people dressed as monks and just things. street theatre. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I feel like that's kind of inviting pickpockets a little bit. Like, imagine if you just went there pretending to cosplay as an assassin and you just went around like stealing from people. So true, pretending to work just pretending at the theme to park. be you know one of the employees, <laughs> but re- in reality you're just pickpocketing people. I'm just interested in seeing who they might get to actually play the role of said assassin. You know, probably just a bunch of. Like generically handsome Malaysian men. Mm. Yeah, don't they just like pluck people out of like the the hopeful actors folder and just pay them like like not much money? Yeah, and that's where they get those guys. Yeah, that's basically. Hey, I used to work in a theme park. No, I worked damn hard to be in street theatre. <laughs> I did. I wasn't just plucked from nowhere and paid nothing. Yeah, but considering that, like all of Ubisoft's late last games have basically been big theme parks. Uh, this is weirdly the right direction mm. for them. Just as long as in, in order to actually get access to the map, you don't have to climb to the top of a tower and leap off in any way. I reckon they'll have that, though. Yeah. I think there'll be some kind of like playground area climbing, that kind of infrastructure. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just excited to see how, how it's going to visually look. I mean, really, I'm just sitting here imagining the whole thing's going to be an Assassin's Creed world, let's be honest. Yeah, but, I mean, they've also got, like, Far Cry. Yeah, and, I know. They've got all of that. And Watch Dogs. Yeah. Rayman. Oh, could you imagine Rayman what they could well. do with Watch Dogs? Actually, I was was struggling a bit to figure out how they'd make a watchdog's ride. (laughs) Mm. Like, yeah. No, no, that's where you you have your wearable technology, and when you, like, put it on, you can see what crimes people around you have done. Like, that's the watchdog. Yeah, that's how you catch the assassin that's just pickpocketed you on the way through. (laughs) Exactly. And then you can alert the Far Cry guards who will shoot him with their machine guns. Oh, this is great. And while that's happening, you get mauled to death by a tiger. 
Oh, maybe there's Ubisoft like Ubisoft a... World. I know, this is great. Maybe there could be a wildlife park attached. Oh, this is great. I'm getting excited. This is all speculation, <laughs> FYI. Yes. Listeners, none of, none of this is real. <laughs> Except the theme park part. This week marks the 20th anniversary of the American release of the Sony PlayStation. The console began its life as a planned CD add-on for the Super Nintendo. After negotiations between the two companies failed, Sony repurposed their technology and the PlayStation was born. Commonly regarded as a major milestone in home console gaming, the PlayStation was the first console to break 100 million units shipped worldwide. It was also the first successful console to not feature cartridge-based games and instead used compact discs, allowing game developers room to dramatically increase the scope of their games, resulting in groundbreaking titles like Metal Gear Solid and Final Fantasy VII. The PlayStation, with games targeted at late teens and adult gamers, acknowledged the demographic that was largely ignored by Nintendo and Sega. You have PlayStation memories, Ray? Yes, I was an owner. Well, actually, I received a second-hand PlayStation from an older cousin. He let me borrow it for a few months, oh, yeah? and that was a great couple of months. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Games like makes... Demolition Derby. Yeah. And um, uh, the original Grand Theft Auto, yeah. I remember playing. That was a, a game changer. Mm-hmm. That makes me feel old. Well, you are old. No, I didn't think so until I heard that that was a 20th anniversary. Now I do feel old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's remember... not dwell on that, though. Thanks. I remember <laughs> renting one for my birthday over the yeah. weekend, and it came in a metal case that it was welded into. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember when you can go to the video store and hire consoles for like $18 plus a $30 deposit. Yeah. 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 And the games. Oh, gosh. Those are the days. Kids these days don't remember what that is. <laughs> yeah. But they don't know what consoles are anymore either. <laughs> What's a video store? What? <laughs> the, con- the design of the controller was also quite revolutionary, wasn't it? I mean, before that, the best controller we had was the Super Nintendo one, which was kind of ovular, mm. but still not really fitting for, for normal adult-sized hands. Mm. Like, the PlayStation came along and had, like, two big grips. Yeah. And you could really hold on to that thing and... And, you know, really play the game that way. Hmm. Yeah, it had a lot of other weird stuff as well, like the use of analog. Was it did the PlayStation 1 have analog buttons or was that included in the PlayStation 2? I can never uh, remember. Yes, they, it didn't ship with an analog uh, stick, like controller, but it was introduced like halfway through. The no, slide. no, no, not the stick, but I'm talking about the buttons themselves were analog. Oh. Yeah, so you actually had like resistance the whole way down, which is why you could do stuff like, you know, Use them in the same way that you can use triggers now. It was weird. Uh, anyway. Yeah, but didn't they abandon that analog button thing with the PlayStation 3? Yeah. Yeah, that was a stupid idea. <laughs> I remember playing Metal Gear Solid, uh, a game which is almost unplayable these days, mm-hmm. the original one. Mm-hmm. And um, to aim your gun, you'd have to half press the square button yeah. to aim, fully depress it, and then release it to fire. <laughs> I mean, that's clumsy as heck. <laughs> yes. Wow, that's ridiculous. You're listening to Z Games. That was Tim Shield with credits. Uh, Razor, you have been playing Grow Home, a game released by Ubisoft earlier in the year. That's right. It's not like one of those huge Ubisoft games, those blockbusters like Watch Dogs or Assassin's Creed. It's more along the lines of Child of Light or Valiant Hearts, one of those indie-esque games that they've put out. So it's got a very indie flavor, this one. I actually hear that the developers worked on this kind of in secret, and then when it was basically ready to go, showed it to the executives at Ubisoft to say, 
hey, we kind of made this game. Maybe we should release it. Uh, and fortunately, they liked it. Uh, and also, no one got fired. So <laughs> That's great. It really has an indie feel. Like, it, it's polished and looks great and looks amazing, but... Uh, you can tell it started off as like a, a very simple project. What's the deal with it? So you control, uh, in the third person, the botanical utility droid, or Bud. Uh, He's a uh, little Bud. charming red robot. And the cool thing about Bud is that he's procedurally animated. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's not like like Etio or or the dude from Watch Dogs where he's just going through the motions of a scripted animation. Uh, it's a very physics-based game. So um, he's got this wobbly giant head that bobs around like... Up, like a bobble Like head. a bobble head. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it kind of just flaps around in a strange way depending on the way you move him. Hmm. And, yeah, there's no scripted animations. Basically, the laws of physics govern where his limbs and head move. And it leads to a lot of interesting little little interactions. Like, for example, you could be running along an edge and the momentum of your enormous head doesn't let you stop quickly. So you just go tumbling over. Oh, my gosh, that's adorable. Yeah. So if you think of games like Octodad, mm-hmm. uh, you know, games like that where it's, it's physics-based rather than animation-based characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a bit like that. But unlike that game, you're not in constant battle with uh, the control scheme. That's not the point of it. And you actually develop a kind of gracefulness as you learn the controls. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, what's the point of the game, I guess? <laughs> that was my next question. Yeah, that's a good thing to lead but, you into. Know, ask yourself the questions. Yeah. Uh, you're a little alien droid and the the, ga- the aim of the game is to reach the heavens mm-hmm. so you start off on the ground listeners he's actually pointing to the ceiling right now I'm pointing to the heavens <laughs> uh for some reason the uh like growing this star plant to the spaceship will somehow save this alien race i'm right. not exactly sure you know how that makes sense but that's the aim of the game you start off on the ground and you're in a quite a small little environment but um You've got this plant that you have to sort of grow. There's little shoots that come out of it. You ride them. You get onto them and you grasp them with both hands and then they shoot out and you can kind of semi-control it, but not really. Like if you push left, it'll veer off wildly to the left and you have to correct. But these shoots grow out and they attach themselves to these floating islands that are suspended in the air. Hmm. And um, once they, they're attached, they're permanent fixtures of the world. Okay. So you have to climb them. Uh, to get up higher and higher and higher and so on. Is there a giant at the top? A giant? Like, yeah, like Jack and the Beanstalk? Yes, I'm glad you got where I was going. <laughs> no, no giant. But yeah, Just it is Jack and, the, no. <laughs> it's Jack and the Beanstalk-esque. Uh, there's no real um, other robots like you. There are little animals, wildlife that hmm. populate some of the islands and you can actually grab them <laughs> and put them in these little, these little robotic hubs to analyze them for, you know, the benefit of the species kind of thing, research. Right. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Uh, now, the central mechanic is climbing. It essentially turns into this giant climb fest. So what you've got is two robotic arms. Mm-hmm. Each of those arms is controlled by the left and right triggers. Ali, you and I like to talk about how we like it when games, uh, the, the controls of the games reflect, um, you know, the physical you, action. The physical action. Yeah. So this is very much like that. When you approach a surface, you'll see two little blue and red colored um, 
icons where your hands are going to go and then you push the buttons in to grasp it. Okay, great. And so you kind of, when you climb, you put one hand down, you move your other hand up, plant it, and then so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. So every every place that you put your hand has to be calculated. Right. And it's like this crazy climbing simulator in that way. Mm. And it's not like Assassin's Creed where it's like a scripted climb where you've mm. got like, okay, you there's... press up and he just jumps. There's that little fluidly. brick that's sticking out. Yeah. yeah. There's that... Um, you know, that perch that you have to go on. It's like everywhere is climbable. And if you uh, like shoot the plant out in a wrong direction or it's in a whack way, you have to deal with that and climb with it. (laughs) That sounds very tactile. Yes. And um, there's little like, thankfully you don't have to climb all the way up. It's about a two kilometer climb Mm -hmm. in in game sort of metrics. How did you work that out? Uh, Because there's a like a meter, oh, okay. well, a climometer, <laughs> 2,000 at the top. Yeah, you've got like uh, little lily pads that will sort of launch you up a little bit to bounce. Cute. And once you get up to like like really high, uh, you kind of get that, that whole vertigo thing happening <laughs> because you can see all the way down and it gets a little hazy like through the clouds and stuff. But and how do you go with that? Because this is not the first time you've suffered vertigo in a game. How did you know? Because we all watched when you put the Oculus Rift oh, on yeah. and you couldn't fly and yeah, started no. feeling sick. <laughs> That's right, Candy. Heights, I don't like them in yeah. real life. No. <laughs> um, so when I'm playing this game, I kind of get that little tingly feeling that I get when I'm standing on somewhere high, like right. that little internal voice that's really? just telling me to get the hell out of there. And I can deal with it in the game because I know it's it's you know not Make actually believe. happening. Yeah. yeah, but I still get that kind of thrill. Mm. And so... When you make these huge, risky jumps, um, it feels really, really exhilarating right. because, you know, you have to jump out and grab onto something else. If you fail, you're going all the way down to the <laughs> bottom. And that's a real, you know, that's a real punishment right. because there's a lot of work ahead of you there. Is there any kind of checkpoint system? Yeah, there are little teleporters that will um, allow you to check in so you don't have to climb all the way from the bottom <laughs> if you make one giant mess up. And Does it kill you top. if you fall from two k's up? Ah, uh, yes. Oh, oh no, yeah. Bud. Yeah, he kind of explodes, but thankfully oh. he's got um, access to a lily, right. a little daisy thing. I'm not sure. It's like a flower. A flower, mm-hmm. yeah. And he can <laughs> store it in his backpack and whip it out when he's falling to to slow his descent. Oh, it's adorable. Oh, cute, like yeah. a little umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, as you fall, the um. The pedals fall off. Oh, no. Bud. <laughs> so you kind of just need to steer yourself yeah. fairly quickly. Yeah, that's right. So it's not like you can float all the way down to the bottom. They fall off quite quickly, and you have to pick up new flowers to sort of regenerate it. Oh, cool. Mm. Otherwise, yeah. you're falling without flowers, and that's no good. That's right. Oh. All right. So this, Bud. This seems like... So the, the primary game, then, is just you as Bud climbing to the top of this huge flower plant structure yes um is that enough like does it does it seem like there's enough game there it's yeah it's a little bit different in that way in the fact that there's just one singular goal that you're walking working towards Mm -hmm. and i can see for people who are after a more guided experience where they're rewarded constantly Mm. um that might be a bit off-putting but there are little other goals to go for Along the way, for instance, there's uh, little gems that are scattered around the place, a la Super Mario Brothers 64. Yeah. Yeah. And collecting those 
as well as being like a collectible that you have to hunt for and it's it's fun to look for them they power your battery up which opens up more abilities for your little robot man Cute. bud uh, including a rocket pack oh yeah which is helpful it's kind of weak at the start like you when you fire the rocket pack off the ground it's really feeble but <laughs> if you use it in conjunction with a large jump it it really can propel Boosts. you yeah and um, the, one of the first things you unlock is also the ability to zoom out the camera so that you can actually see what's going on around you. Which is interesting you have to unlock that. Yeah, it is interesting. Mm. But, um, yeah, no, I appreciated that. It sort of makes you appreciate the scale as you go along mm. because that's the key word with this game, scale. As the game progresses and you get higher and higher, uh, the, the enormity of the world kind of dawns upon you and it's not a like a large geographic area um like skyrim or anything it's just it's very vertical mm -hmm. and that's kind of cool like i haven't really seen that explored much in games like a huge vertical world what are you seeing around you like when you're climbing does it just look like you're climbing through space and it's all dark or, or yeah there's clouds there's there's fog there is a day night cycle although oh, nice. monsters don't come out during the night time good and there's a sun that sort of goes around <laughs> just reassuring yourself with that statement no monsters everybody it's all good here <laughs> yeah no monsters which is good yeah and uh, as you get further and further up you can kind of see the curvature of the planet that you're on oh cool, cool. which is a cool little feature yeah so um, you're loving it then it's fun yes it's a short little game once you get to the top uh you know it's done and dusted you can go back and look for gems you can go back and uh, try and scan in more animals and creatures and plants for the database. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite short. You could get it over with in a few hours. Mm. But there is replayability, I think. Like, if you want to go back uh, and do it quicker, I think that's a little challenge you could, do, uh, you could set for yourself. And um, also the fact that when you, uh, you, when you determine the direction of the, of the plants, like, that's something that stays in the world. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of craft a different world every playthrough. Yeah, it seems which like is kind of cool. The the climbing element has a skill to it as well, something that you actually could improve upon and then go back and enjoy being much better at doing that, right? Yeah, the first little while of playing this game was a constant struggle with like against the control scheme. Mm -hmm. And at first I thought it was like okay, this is like co-op or or something mm -hmm. like that. This mm -hmm. is just some crazy uncoordinated robot and part of the fun is like is just trying not to die because he's so <laughs> uncoordinated yeah. uh, but it actually gives you more control as you learn the system hmm. and um do you think then that would take away from the experience if you went back and replayed it but you were just an ace at climbing uh not necessarily okay. i think um it'll be fun the second time around as well yeah, doing it more efficiently. And actually, I think that the climbing system is so good that they might... This is the this is Ubisoft, the creators of Assassin's Creed. I, I'm hoping that they take a few, you know, hints from this game and maybe implement a more open, mm -hmm. a more tactile climbing system into their flagship series, Assassin's mm -hmm. Creed, which is, of course, a huge game based around climbing, essentially. I've got it. The theme park is going to have a giant climbing wall. Yes. Yes, that's what they will have. <laughs> you have to leap off it at the end and put a knife through someone's neck. Yeah, I reckon they... Well, no, not to that extreme. But, you know, I think they will have a climbing wall incorporated. I think that would be amazing fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, rock climbing. 
Yeah, no, that's what I'm yeah. talking about. Rock and climbing, then you get yeah, to like upsail when you get to the top. Not quite the leap of faith, but you know, it's still, you're jumping somewhat. Yeah. yeah, so if you're a rock climbing enthusiast, this game, you know, it kind of has that that hand placement thing going on. I wish people could see your actions when describing this game. It's like he's just been in climbing an invisible wall this entire time. Yeah. It's mm. quite, quite the mime you are. Yep. So we've been talking about <laughs> Grow Home. Just came out uh, this month for the PlayStation 4. It's also free if you're a PlayStation Plus subscriber as a part of your subscription. Mm. And it's available for the PC as well. It was released uh, earlier this year. Cool. Thanks, Razor. My pleasure. Welcome back, listeners. This is, of course, Z Games on 4 Z. Lee, you've been playing Submerged. Yes. About water or being under it or actually not being in it at all. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, Submerged is a game by Uppercut Games. They're an Australian uh, small dev studio. Yep. Um, came out uh, early August, and it's a third-person exploration game. It's set in a... Tank, uh, water tank, ocean. No. No, <laughs> no it's, uh, it's set in a post-apocalyptic uh, city that has been submerged by rising ocean levels. I was close. You were close, <laughs> yes, sort of. Uh, you play a young girl who is trying to find medical aid for her sick and wounded brother. Hmm. Uh, and so your whole job is to hop in your uh, motorboat, um, ride out to the semi-submerged buildings and climb up the outside of them trying to find... Um, help in the form of, say, bug spray or bandages or fresh water, things of that nature. Are there other people around or is it just her and her brother that have survived? Uh, Her and the brother are the only people people that you see in the game. Um, As you play through the game, you uh, pick up pieces of the story and you get a sense of what happened to the parents. Uh, It is tragic. And uh, there are also, this is not actually a spoiler, um, but it seems like it would be, there are strange, like, proto-human things covered in moss and algae that you see walking around in the buildings as you're Mm -hmm. clambering about that you don't really ever get a chance to interact with. They're very mysterious. They're always just off ahead of you, and when you get up there, you know, they're gone. Uh, So you are being observed as you play through this by these mysterious moss-covered humanoid creatures, these new life forms that have arisen uh, in the, you know, this this submerged world. Weird. Mm. But you never interact with them. Well, not directly. Okay. So there's no combat in this game then? No, no, there's no combat in the game. There's actually, there's not terribly much to it, actually. You uh, get to ride your boat around. You get to look for... Uh, places where there might be resources. So you've got a a telescope that you can use when you're in the boat. Uh, You buzz around and you can get um, upgrades. You can find upgrades for your boat that make your boat faster. Uh, And then the rest of the game is just climbing, is clambering up the side of the buildings. And this feels very much like the climbing style that is in, say, the Uncharted games, in, in some of the the climbing puzzles that are in the Mm. Assassin's Creed games. So things where you have to figure out that, you know, to cross this particular section of wall, you've actually got to drop down and use your hands rather than uh, going, you know, on your feet and then, you know, climbing up the surface of the vines. But there's really, there's usually like one or two paths that you can take and one will take you off to where there's a collectible and then a dead end and then you have to go back. So the game itself is just about 
it is just the, the tower challenges that you might find in an Ubisoft game. It's just getting to the top. Are you returning supplies the whole way through? Like, is that a, do you actually have a base where yes. your brother is? Or yeah, you yeah. just kind of stay out the whole time, but you know in the game that he's back there that you have to get there eventually? Uh, no, you're, uh, the, the way that the game flows is actually really clever. Um, it, it seems sort of segmented appropriately. So you always start off at the base where your brother is resting. You always then ride off probably in a new direction trying to find a new place where there might be resources. Uh, when you get to the top and find the resources, then you're automatically whisked back to uh, the home base to attempt to heal your brother. Mm. It's a it's a gorgeous game, mm. which is it's a real a real feat. Uh, the water and the weather effects are fantastic, um, and the overall aesthetic, everything seems very weather beaten, and you know, there's a lot of moss effects mm. and things like that. Um, so the emphasis is on like exploration, and you, I guess it would rely on your curiosity of the world to sort of propel you through it, as opposed to any like. Uh, plot story elements involving conflict or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's, uh, and even as far as curiosity is concerned, you you do kind of hit a wall there as well. You, like, you'll see big statues and, you know, you'll have questions about those that never go answered. Uh, so the environmental design is, is generically very nice, um, but then in, in a way that you never really get to interact with as well so whilst there's the the ruined um you know arch bridge off in one corner and these fantastic enormous statues elsewhere you don't get to clamber across those things you're just going straight up the side of old hospitals and hotels and things Mm. so um the environment that you play in specifically is nowhere near as interesting as that which is sort of hinted at around the rest of the world which is a bit of a shame yeah, that's a shame. Mm. The water itself, like, do you have much to do with that other than you know travelling across it in a in a boat? Does it is it harmful in any way, or is it you know can no, you swim through it if need be? It's or? benign. You the only time that you're actually interacting with the water is just when you are crossing it in the boat. There are um, sea creatures that you see occasionally that will pop out. So when you see a whale for the first time, that's pretty impressive. That's cool. Dolphins and things. Um, but yeah, again. Beyond being the way that you travel from home base to the climbing points, you don't really do anything with the water. It seems a shame because the water is really nicely modelled. The the boat physics all work really well. Being in the boat feels really good, but the boat is just the means of getting you from your base to this, this climbing challenge. Do you ever hit ground? Like, is it a hilly environment you know enough where the floodwaters may not have actually no, no, gone all the always, way through you're you're always yeah uh, you're always just the tops of buildings so sea levels have risen pretty high uh, and then at the edge of the map it's just water mm. as far as the eye can see mm. yeah mm. the climbing is interesting as well in that uh, there's no button prompts for it it's all just using the the analog sticks and the direction to move around which is very zen very peaceful, but also you feel a bit uh, distanced from the action. There's no, you, you you want that that button press to indicate that you know this is my my choice to make this leap to you know mm. clamber on here rather than just this is the path of you know least resistance that the game determines. I've got to I've got to take. So that I feel like I I make I understand the reason why they wanted it to just be 
this very natural flowing movement but at the same time as a player I felt like even though uh, the fact that you know having a, a button prompt to you know jump onto the you know the clambering mm. system is arbitrary it still feels like I've got more control there mm. so um, yeah it, you do sort of get a sense of something missing as you're just you know pushing yourself worming your way up the side of a building yeah. as it were um, it's a, a fantastic sounding game. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Van Dyck, who is the composer of this, mm. has been involved in like a third of the games that Australia is producing at the moment, uh, it would seem. And uh, his work here is phenomenal. So the, um, uh, the score is primarily just these piano pieces, which are beautiful and haunting. Lovely. And, and add to this ambience. There is a real sense... I guess it, it plays around with this feeling that you're alone, but then also you're being observed by these beings you don't quite really know anything about. But you're about. just left mm. to assume that they have grown or developed since the floods have come through. Yes, yes, that's okay. right. Yeah, and there's a, a few other little plot points that because they're they're good, but they're kind of light on the ground, so I don't really want to spoil. Yeah, uh, you, you get a, a better sense of potentially what these things are. Um, so the story is is simple but is good, uh, but it then kind of concludes in a way that kicks the, f- the legs out from under it. It's just mm. sort of, it's just a bit, the ending, I feel, just undoes all of that, that sense of, of growing, I don't know, fear, I guess, for yeah. the future, unfortunately. It okay. seems like it could have been a good opportunity as like, a kind of commentary on the way the world's heading with global warming and stuff. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, obviously, when you've got the world submerged in in water, you are definitely talking about global warming. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as you go through the game, you can pick up books that are littered about the place that will give you a single picture, a single pictogram, in fact, telling the, the greater story of what happened to the world. But because there are a lot of them... You're only getting one image at a time, and they're just off in places where sometimes I just, you know, didn't couldn't really be effed having yeah. to climb up this, you know, one more grey building to get another book page. Mm. Uh, I never got the, you know, the whole story. But on the other hand, like, the world's covered in water. Like, yeah. what? Th- there's no surprise mm. as to yeah. what the cause of that was, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's fun to sort of make up your own narrative given with the clues that the designer's given you. Yeah. You know, in games like Journey, um, which is also a lonely style game, uh, you're never really given any concrete information about mm. the state of affairs of the world or how things came to pass. But in that lack of information, you sort of start to get a picture of, of what you think it might be. Is this the case with Submerged? Yeah, a little bit, although I guess because the story is so focused on the single story of uh, the girl trying to find uh, aid, medical aid for her brother, and the way that you're you're getting this aid is that these are like medical drops, things that have been parachuted down and landed on buildings. So like... So there's life out there somewhere. Well, maybe there, there was. Drop, or there was. Yeah. At some point they've done these drops. Yes. How old is this character? Uh, you're definitely a young-ish girl. The brother is younger. Uh, sort of hard to say mm-hmm. exactly how old you are. Maybe like early mid-teens perhaps at the most. 
Is there enough in this to keep you going? Like if you weren't doing this because you were reviewing it today, <laughs> like is there enough with just the climbing and the collecting things to warrant playing through to the end? My my feeling with collectibles these days is that they can get stuffed in general. Um, <laughs> And anytime someone's like, let's put 100 things in the map so that we've got something to do, I think that person should be put in a box and then that box should be left at the bottom of the ocean. But... Uh, <laughs> That's are you talking about murder? I'm not necessarily. I'm, you know. Okay, just, so they'd survive being at the bottom of the just, ocean I'm in a box. That, yeah. Like, there ought to be a punishment for a person who says, we need to make them get 100 of these gugors before mm. you can see the true ending of yeah. of Arkham Knight, for example. Mm. <laughs> okay. like, so the artificial padding, just, yeah. okay, here's a treadmill and you have to go around a thousand times to yeah, see this. Yeah, and if you, yeah. if you want to hide your story behind the collection of a hundred bits that you've thrown throughout your landscape, then maybe you're not taking your, ser- your story too seriously and maybe you're not respecting my time as a player. But that is aside from... Uh, this so mm. whilst I didn't chase down all of those bits, I did actually really enjoy the experience of sitting down and just having this this world and this game wash over me. Uh, I couldn't, I don't think I could do it in one sitting. No, uh, that would probably start to get a little bit dull, tedious, and tedious. Yeah, but um, I did keep coming back uh, so that I could go find the next piece of aid. So there are, I think there are eight ultimately eight buildings that you have to climb up and eight uh, these medical aid boxes that you have to finish out this story. And in the middle, I really did get into a fun groove where I was just like, you know, having to scout out new locations and going out to find them. And, you know, it feels good when you're, you know, driving the boat out. It just, it also feels like at, at no point was I ever overwhelmed by how great the experience was but I was never really underwhelmed either Mm. this was a game that has a fun premise but never surprises you beyond that initial point like the rest of it is just what what you see Mm. and so that's disappointing because I was hoping that they would be able to take it in further directions beyond that initial like here is a sunken world it's really neat go around in it Mm. Um, but that said, you know, that, that complete experience was something that I enjoyed seeing through to the end and it was also something that was relatively simple to see through to the end as well without ever getting too too dull or too, too dreary. And you've done you've played roughly how many hours? Oh, it would only be a handful of hours. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yes, it's a it's a fairly short experience. But it's a good one. Mm. So Submerged is available now for Steam. Yes. Is it also a console game or is it PC only? Uh, yeah, it's on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One as well. Yeah. Cool. And it's an Australian developer, right? Yes, yes, it yeah. is. So Uppercut are a bunch of developers, uh, I believe some former Bioshock developers as well. Um, yes. Cool. Cool. Thanks, Lee. Yeah. Uh, next up, I'd just like to do another reminder. Pay your pledge for Radiothon. Yes. 5 p.m. Monday, the 14th of September. That's your last chance. That is the deadline. Yeah. Uh, so come in in person, 264 Barry Parade in the Valley is where we are. Uh, office hours, 10 to 4 weekday or uh, noon till 3 p.m. on a Saturday. Or if you've got a credit card, 
uh, call us 32521555 during those same office hours and speak to one of our very friendly receptionists. They'll take uh, your details and you will be in the draw for all of those fantastic gold prizes. Yay. So many prizes. So many prizes. Yep. Worth it. And uh, that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of Zed Games, guys. Aww. Thanks so much for your company. Back next week at the same time, Lee, we have a website and social media accounts, right? Damn straight we do. Yep. You can find us at zgamesau.net or Facebook us at Facebook slash zgamesau. Uh, Razor, what are we talking about on next week's episode? Mad Max. Mad Max. Yes. Whoa. The Wasteland. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether I'm more surprised that we know what we're talking about next week or that it's Mad Max. Yeah. So Exciting. You and I have been journeying <laughs> along the Fury Road. Yep. You've got the Furiosa hairstyle already. That's good. <laughs> oh, thank you, Lee. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I've got a kind of steampunk thing happening here. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely not the Mel Gibson haircut, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, Mad Max, interestingly, he's he's not Mel Gibson in this one, is he? No, nor he, is he really Tom Hardy. He's, he's kind of a weird amalgamation of the two actors. Yes. Saving them, uh, no doubt, quite a lot of money and licensing. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> While still being true to both incarnations of Mad Max. Yes. Very clever. <laughs> but we'll be hearing more about that on next week's episode when we talk about Mad Max. Uh, we'll catch you guys next week. Take care. Be Bye. excellent to each other. See you next week. Bye.